0: This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio, episode number 76. Have you ever been stuck? Have you ever felt like your job was at a dead end? Or maybe that you even got the wrong college degree? Let me tell you a secret. You can overcome your roadblocks. You are capable of being and achieving more than you are even doing right now. Join Carrie Kish and me to learn how serial entrepreneur, mother of four, and CEO of CultureSync, the champions of tribal leadership, navigates work and life balance. This great interview will encourage and inspire you that you can remove career blocks and amplify your success too.
1: Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast. Showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur. Join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line.
0: This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio. Today we're talking with Carrie Kish, the the CEO of CultureSync. Welcome, Carrie.
2: Hi, thank you.
0: It's uh, such a pleasure to have you here. Um, We met about a year ago at the Conversation Among Masters conference down in uh, Florida, and I was impressed with you then, and then I ended up taking a course with tribal leadership and you participated in that as, as one of the leaders, and it was an excellent course. So I, I'm excited to talk to you today.
2: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Great. Now, tell us a little bit about your background. You've, you've had a lot of different careers. Can you give us just a, a thumbnail sketch of that?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's a little unusual. I um, I actually started out as a chemist. And, uh, and worked in research uh, at chemist for a few years and then went into teaching and, uh, and then found that I'm very entrepreneurial and started starting businesses. So my husband and I are serial entrepreneurs and uh, just recently started our eighth business. And they have been in many different and diverse uh, fields from software consulting to a health spa to leadership development, and they don't seem like they go together, and um, and you know, and it's an interesting it's an interesting path that we've followed.
0: Well, th- that's really interesting, and and one of the things that that I like about that is I meet so many young women that think they have to stay in one track. That, or you know, have
2: it figured out. Or have it
0: figured out, you know, so they're a chemist, and so you've got to always be a chemist. Or um, they were a teacher, so you've got to do that. And that really isn't true for a lot of people. It, but I'm wondering how you, how did you, was it difficult to make those shifts from one profession to another, or did you, was it an easy thing to do?
2: Um I will admit that it's not been easy, but I don't know that getting up and going to the job that's not right for you is easy either. And um, it, I don't know that I actively and uh, made a decision like, oh, I need to start a new career. I think I just followed the steps that were in front of me, like followed the resonance,
3: uh-huh.
2: followed the fulfillment, and followed the opportunity. And um, and I think one of the things that's really important for women as they are leading their careers is that our lives, um, our, our life circumstances, I think, change in the career world a lot more than men's do, and because if you um, you know you, per, per, maybe you're married, maybe you're not when you enter the workforce, and getting married changes your focus and maybe your priorities, having a family. Can change your focus and your priorities. Uh, my husband and I have four children, so that definitely impacted my career and um, and changed my focus and my priorities and how I wanted to participate in work and and um, how I wanted to take care of my family. and um, And I think that continues to change and evolve. And we need to. I think be more flexible about um, how we approach our careers because of that
0: that makes a lot of sense I, w- I want you to back up for a minute. You said something that caught my attention and that was you followed the resonance. Can you talk about what that means for you
2: yeah it's um it's kind of like if you're it's kind of like following the light the path that lights up, following what makes your heart sing, following uh what's feels uh, what feels right, and I, I think I'm very intuitive, so I, I feel more than I think, but for some people and, um, and a lot of the, you know, women in leadership think before they feel, you know, so it, you can follow what, what you think is right or what makes the most sense. You kind of need to check in with your, the resonance is kind of like your inner voice and you get feedback from your inner voice from a lot of places. It's from what you think and what you know, from your experience, from your intuition, from your um, from your values, and so just following that um, following that little inner voice and following what what um, what is most fulfilling and what is most right for your circumstance now, and not forcing something to work because um, you need the money, or because you're afraid of making a change or because uh, you, you feel stuck for some reason or another.
0: That makes sense. For me, it was um, getting the the confidence and trust that I could do that and would turn out okay. Um, I think it's it's just one of the most powerful things that one can do in life is to follow that resonance, to follow yeah. that inner knowing of what's right for you. So tell us about Culture think. What what is what is that organization and what's your position there?
2: Uh, so I'm the CEO of CultureSync, and uh, and I and I became CEO of CultureSync in kind of an unusual way. Essentially, I sold my last coaching and leadership development business into CultureSync in exchange for partnership. So I am a partner and the CEO at CultureSync. And what we do uh, is essentially help people navigate culture and leadership in organizations from anything from a startup up to Fortune 100s. Uh, Today I was lucky enough to go and work uh, with Virgin Galactic, the top 15 executives at Virgin Galactic. So we go in and we do anything from one-on-one coaching to one-day off-site leadership retreats to um, one-hour keynotes to um, year-long leadership and culture development initiatives inside of organizations.
0: So... Wow, that's very impressive. You must be really good at your job to be working at that level.
2: <laughs> um, thank you for that. Some days, uh, you know, the one thing about working at CultureSync that's different from um, the other roles I've had is that it's um, it's got a much bigger reach. Uh, Because my business partner, Dave Logan, is a best-selling author and um, teaches in the Executive MBA program at USC, there's a lot of demand for um, our work, and so we have a a lot more exposure. And so um, I think I used to think I was really good at my job, and... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i get so much feedback you know just being being um that involved that um having such a public role uh uh-huh. opens you to a lot of feedback so as a speaker I'm on stage. Um I teach at the Getty Leadership Institute. I teach in um I I teach for an organization called the American College of Physician Executives and in those in those organizations specifically but in a lot of our organizations um we are rated and given feedback on every single talk we do.
3: Uh-huh.
2: And um and that that creates some humility.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, right, one doesn't always get great reviews, right?
2: We I, we do well. I mean, we we get very good reviews. Uh-huh. But um as you know and probably as the listeners know, um you know, if you get a review or a 360 or um you know, any sort of evaluation, even if your boss or your peers say 95 amazing great things about you or uh-huh. good things about you, the thing you fixate on is the 5% of negative feedback.
3: Right. And So
2: it's hard because we know the two percent truth, or we, or it stings, or it hurts in a certain way, and it is, um, it is an opportunity to continue to grow and develop ourselves, and it's not always easy. So it's easier to reject the feedback, I think, than to than to take it.
0: Well, uh, that's how does one. I, I think it's an interesting point because, you know, I, I'm, I do executive coaching in corporations too, and the question is, how does one take the feedback and make it useful? And, uh, and not, sometimes and it's it's not clear even what the person meant by that uh, feedback. And you very, don't,
2: very true. And you it don't have answers.
0: any way to check with them. You,
2: right. And um, the other thing is that feedback is often weaponized in organizations, Um Feedback isn't always useful. And oftentimes, feedback says more about the person giving the feedback than it does about the person receiving it. Exactly. And so we can't take everything on, but you know the things you need to take on.
0: Right, the right. Thing
2: that stings, and when you try it on and it's like, ooh, ouch, um, you know, that's a place where you have an opportunity to grow and develop yourself. And, and rejecting it is easy um, and safe. Owning it and, and and struggling with it and kind of having that dark night of the soul with it is harder uh-huh. and very well worth it.
0: I, I totally agree. Um, and I, I appreciate your vulnerability and your sharing that with us and I'm, I'm sure most of the people in the audience have, have had an experience like that I certainly have. Um, I, I was curious about another thing so when you so many of us as leaders, we're in one position, and then we we move up to a position where we have more exposure um we have to move to the next level and so you had your own company, and all of a sudden you you're in you're in a position where you have a bigger reach you're you're exposed to i i don't know the right way to put it um uh you're in more of a public position and you're being scrutinized more. How did you, was it easy to move into um, meeting maybe well-known people, um, going and talking to somebody, say at Virgin Galactic or a different company? Was that an easy transition, or what did you do to deal with that?
2: Uh, Well, there are a couple layers of the answer. One is, um, and I wish I knew the personality assessment. I don't know the name of the personality assessment, but there are all kinds of assessments you can take. And um, I one of my um, one of my colleagues uh, gives these uh, from uh, consulting. She's a consulting psychologist, and she does these assessments. And one one um, piece of that assessment is kind of how do you navigate um, relationships, mm-hmm. and and what is, it's an inherent trait. It's an inherent ability. Are you able to um, work well with your peers or people who you perceive to be your equal? Are you able to work with people who you um, see as better than or above you? And are you able to work with people who are beneath you or below you? And it's an inherent um, quality. It's not something that necessarily we can grow and change as much. Mm-hmm. So notice. What is most comfortable for you is, you know, where is your strength? Do you, are you better at leading down? Are you better at leading laterally? Are you better at leading up? Or are you good at all? And I will tell you that um, I have an inherent ability to lead at all different levels, it just inherently. So, And to be perfectly honest, one of the things people don't really know about me is that I'm pretty introverted. And... Um, Every single time I go to talk to an audience, I, I this morning I was walking into, um, like I was walking through the hotel to walk into the room that the Virgin Galactic was in, mm-hmm. and um, I took a breath, and it's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know? Like I still have to take a breath and say, here we go. And one of my mantras is, um, they're just people. they are They are just people. They're, your CEO, your boss, your, um, your idol, your mentor, your, um, your nemesis at work, <laughs>
3: um,
2: they are people. They have hopes and dreams and desires. They have physical challenges. They have relationship issues. They have financial concerns. Uh, they have all the same the, the human needs that we have. And when you can stop objectifying people and um, seeing them as their position and actually seeing their humanity, it makes it a lot easier to serve them.
0: I think that's really true. I used to walk walk into speeches like that and imagine yeah. that everyone was five years old with grown-up suits on.
2: Well, and because aren't we all? We all have that little person inside of us.
0: Exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly. yeah that, that frightened you know, little person.
0: Um, Carrie, could you tell us some more about tri- the tribal leadership uh, book and and the idea of that?
2: Yeah, well, it, it's a really great framework for understanding and leading culture. So um, the, the question we asked was, why do some teams and organizations outperform others so significantly? Is it that they have better systems, better strategies, better structure, um, what makes them tick? And we embarked on an eight-and-a-half-year research study. And when I say we, it, it was actually Dave and his partners at the time, uh, Haley Fisher-Wright and John King, who wrote the book Tribal Leadership. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what they determined was that the secret to high-performing teams is culture. And that was not an exciting solution because none of us really knew how to measure culture. hmm and so uh, they created a framework for understanding culture, and what they looked at was the language people use at the at the different levels of culture and how successful they are, and how they structure their relationships. And so we built out. Um, just a way of understanding culture so that you can assess it and then lead change in it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I love the book. I've been using the book and the ideas in, in that book and now the course that I took from you um, at your company for the least eight years. And it's very exciting. And the whole thing about language is fascinating and it's so true, and I wonder if you could just give us a, a couple of examples of that, how language impacts things.
2: Well, language we actually use language to create meaning. And so language matters. Language is really specific. And and just notice, like if 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 people are using your language um, similar language as you are, you feel connected to them. You feel understood by them. You feel like they get you.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: if they're using, if, if, they re, if they restructure your words or they feed you back words that are different than yours, not quite right, you feel a little disconnected. And, um, and what we noticed is that people use language very specifically at the different stages of culture.
3: Mm-hmm. We
2: identified five different stages and how they use how people use language and structure their relationships kind of identifies how successful they are and how successful that team or organization will be.
0: So would it be too much to share those five stages right now?
2: Not at all. Not at all. Okay. I can definitely go through that. So stage and and we're um, because language creates meaning, we use language very specifically in the book, and we named the stages based on the language that we hear at the stage. So at stage one, what we heard was, life sucks, that all of life is broken, and I have no ability to change it. And that's, um, it's a very small percentage of uh, workplaces so less than two percent of workplaces are experiencing a stage one culture but you do see it in downward spirals in um, it's where workplace violence happens mm-hmm. it's also where things like cyber um, theft and identity theft and and things like that happen is at stage one it's kind of like um, it, if you if you know or if the listeners know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. you're if your basic needs are not being met, you'll do whatever it takes to take care of yourself and, and your family, and, um, and if that means um, doing something dishonest or protecting yourself in a particular way, you will do it at stage one. At stage two, it's, um, this is a big shift, and it's a big jump, and it's actually also about a full quarter of workplaces, and um, what we named stage two is not all of life is broken, just mine. My life sucks. And if you think about thing places, think about your favorite um, place. My favorite Stage 2 um, example is uh, the California DMV. And I say very specifically the California DMV because there are other DMVs out there that, that are um, not a Stage 2 organization. But um, I will tell you that I was renewing my driver's license uh, last year, and I had an appointment, and I had to stand in four lines, and there were papers um, taped up all over the DMV um, that one of them said no food or drink and there was a woman in front of me in line with a Starbucks and there are security guards in my DMV which I think is shocking but at stage 2 um <laughs> you need security guards <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Right, right. a security guard came over and made her get out of line and he didn't say you're going to have to go throw away your drink he said you have to leave because there's no food or drink allowed here uh huh and he kicked her out. <laughs> and so, what do we do? We all laugh and we go and and oh. and we complain because complaining is the hallmark of a stage two organization.
3: Uh-huh.
2: And there was a little guilty pleasure because I was excited that there was one fewer people. One fewer <laughs> person in line. Of so, at stage two, um, we're, we really, um, you know, we, we celebrate the demise of others, and and um, whoever's life sucks worse wins. And so we get into those um, competitions of proving and complaining to one another about how bad things are for us. You mm-hmm. know, the, track, my, my, the drive was so bad, and it took me two hours to get into work today. I live in L.A., so that happens. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and we get into that um, who worked longer, who has more emails, who's busier, and all of that is uh-huh. oftentimes. But then that's a little shift when we, when we get into the busyness race. Mm-hmm. That's kind of shifting over to stage three, and stage three is very, very perv- pervasive. It's about forty-nine percent of employed tribes, and at stage three, the the language that people use is "I'm great," and what they what you hear most is "I, me, and my" in their language, mm-hmm. and it's all about "I, me, and my." And um, "I'm great" also implies, unfortunately, that you're not and uh, and so I am great at the expense of others. Uh, it is easy to demonize this stage because it is so popular and so prevalent and so limiting. But the gift of stage three is competence and excellence. It's what we're trained for. We're trained to the, be the best to go to good schools to get good grades, to get a good job, to make the right to make good money, to be quote unquote successful, uh, whatever that means and um to uh, climb the corporate ladder and to get a better title and a better job and to make more money and essentially be busier. Mm -hmm. So at stage three, you really see people getting into this competition of who's busier, whose schedule is busier, um, who's more important, who's right, who has the biggest and best credential, who has the most information, who has the best experience is all what drives stage three.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And that's great to a limit, but it really limits team performance. You can see that if I'm all about me and my experience, that I, I need to solve every problem, and I'm not necessarily great at um, building a team and having that, uh, that increased performance that can happen when I let everybody participate in their strengths, not just in mine. So stage four is the transition, and that's about 22% of organizations. And that's a shift from I'm great to we're great. And it moves from um, I, me, and my language to we, us, and them. Mm-hmm. The competition is external. It's, um, it's uh, Generally, sometimes it can be internal. I could be competing with people in other departments. We see a lot of that in organizations. It's the us against them becomes um, the silos and our silo against their silo. Our department against them, we're competing internally for resources and assets. But it tends to be a place where we're more focused on values rather than strengths. Mm-hmm. So strengths are really important, and strength and skill is super important. You need them to get to stage four. But at stage four, we shift from um, being all about strength and skill and being more about values. And so these values-led organizations, some examples in in the media and uh, well-known examples that people know of and, and would think of are um, companies like Patagonia, companies like um, – Zappos is, is super popular for having a great values-driven culture. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another example of Whole Foods, Whole Foods Market, is another example of a, a values-driven organization. And so you can just palpably feel the difference when you walk into an organization that is led by values. You, you have a different customer experience or a different experience interacting with them because, and they're doing better in the marketplace. Uh, they they have um, much higher customer loyalty and uh, a, and much more success.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I was going to ask you if their profits were higher, but that's what you're saying.
2: Their profits are higher uh-huh. significantly. Um, mm-hmm. Our research showed that moving from stage three to stage four that you get 300 to 500 percent increase in all key performance indicator, whether it's profits, revenue, um, sick time. Uh, employee engagement, whatever it is that you care to measure, mm-hmm. uh, if retention. If you're in healthcare, it's um, anything that you measure on your dashboard. Whatever it is that you're concerned with, you get improvement, statistical improvement in performance by moving from stage three to stage four. Moving from stage four to stage five, we're seeing up to 1,600 percent improvements, and that has been corroborated um, by organizations like Gallup and um also in the research that was done in um uh conscious capitalism by John Mackey and Raj Sasodia mm-hmm. on um their experience with leading conscious organizations like Whole Foods
0: and what's what's uh, that i it's so wonderful what you're talking about and what's so exciting is that you your organization has come up with a way to help people shift um what level is it levels what do you what do you call, stages. It? We call stages. it stages mm-hmm. it you've we call come it up it. with a way to help people shift stages yes. and how successful do you have any research on that how successful have you been with that
2: um, well, I don't know that we're successful. I'd say that the companies that hire us have been very very successful okay but, i
0: like okay. that I like that reframe that that makes a lot of sense
2: well and you you probably would know this because you're the kind of person that we partner with and um, and who goes out and does work like ours and, mm-hmm. and does work with our technology and can see it in action. And you know that you can go in and talk until you're blue in the face and you can go in and coach and you can consult. But until they own it and start making the shifts and doing it's the small one-on-one interactions and it's the small um, relationship building and it's being focused on values. It's these little shifts that really matter, but they're behaviors. Mm -hmm. They're behaviors that you have to do every day and that you have to get a critical mass of people in the organization doing in order to see the shift. So we see that um, awareness is the first step, so just noticing where your culture is Mm -hmm. and, and what your opportunity is, where your next opportunity is. Um, I didn't mention Stage Five. Stage Five is only about two percent of the, of organizations, and it's really about changing the world. It's not about competing with anybody. It's about making world changing play. And um, it, it, it's about change you know uh, Steve Jobs, the first iPhone, is an example of Stage Five. It changed the way we interact with our technology and it changed the way we interact with each other. Mm-hmm. That smartphone technology became, um, became accessible, user-friendly, and um, widely adopted so much so that it has changed our culture. That's the kind of thing that we think of as stage five. Um, the goal is stable stage four teams that can do stage five plays or stage five projects. If we were changing the world all day, every day, um, we, would, we would maybe not have eyes on our revenue and our expenses. We would maybe not have eyes on our business development. We would maybe not have um, all the lenses that we need to have on our business that keep our business healthy
3: mm-hmm. and
2: on providing outstanding, excellent customer service to our customers if we were only focused on changing the world. So we need to um, stabilize our teams at stage four, so that they have access to stage five. But stage five is not the goal.
0: Well, that that was a beautiful, quick description of a very, of some very wonderful, complicated uh, things. So I really appreciate that. I want to shift to a personal note, and if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you about the serious injury you had this last year. Would that be okay with you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure.
0: And um, one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about this is certainly a lot of people in my audience have either had an injury or they will have one. And just I think hearing what you went through and how you dealt with it could be helpful to a lot of people. So can you give us a a quick... um, overview of what happened to you and how you've dealt with it?
2: Sure, sure. Um, I um, uh, Let's see, it's been about five months. So about five months ago, um, I had a uh, very serious horseback riding accident. I was riding my horse, who I know very well. I was doing everything right. I was um, in a padded arena with my trainer and no distractions, wearing a helmet and riding boots, and um, working on something really silly that um, is not dangerous at all.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And in between, um, in between those little exercises that uh, my horse and I were doing, we would take a little walk around the arena just to kind of shake it off and and relax our brains. Mm-hmm. And because it was very mentally taxing what we were doing, and we were deeply connected, we were having a beautiful, beautiful day. And um, and she spooked. Something spooked her, and we still to this day don't know what it was. Um, there's a cow that free ranges on the ranch, and the cow came running up the hill. My horse is a cow horse. It's her job to chase cows. So she's, And, and she has demonstrated repeatedly since the accident that she's not afraid of a cow.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But something spooked her, and we're thinking something might have been chasing a cow, a coyote or a mountain lion or something, that she could see that we couldn't. And she turned and looked at me and snapped. She lost her mind. And I saw that. And um, and I am a decent rider, but I am not a rodeo rider. And she became a rodeo horse, and I was thrown from her and broke my back, oh. and um, and couldn't walk, and had to be rescued by seven paramedics, and uh, rushed to the nearest trauma center, which is three hours from my home. I was two and a, the ranch I ride at is two and a half hours where my horse is boarded, is two two and a half hours from my home and um, and the trauma center was another thirty minutes from that. So uh. I rushed right to a trauma center and needed uh, needed emergency surgery and um, and was walking within twenty four hours of surgery. So I feel incredibly blessed um, to have the health that I do uh, in in five short months, I have recovered better than my surgeon said I ever would. Uh, He told me that I might need to reconsider the work I do, that I may not be able to travel the way I travel, and that I may not be able to stand on my feet and deliver programs all day. Mm -hmm. And um, I can tell you that I can do that easily, that that actually is not um, an issue for me.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, My physical therapist, and that's something that I did, was uh, I was radically committed to my healing and um, and my physical, I'm also better than my physical therapist that I'd be at this point because of how committed I was to my health and healing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I couldn't have done that without the amazing support system that I have. Um, I have incredible support from my family. My husband um, is and has been heroic, has been just an amazing champion of both my rest and protecting me from mm-hmm. myself because I sometimes tend to overdo it and, um, and also allowing me to struggle and reach and and not wrap me in bubble wrap and um, try to keep me safe from, from everything.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So he's been amazing. Uh, I mentioned we have four kids. Our four kids um, are independent and um, and spectacular and stepped in and mothered me. When I needed some support, my kids stepped up. Um, and and for a quick tip, I know uh, we might be talking about some tips later, mm-hmm. but allowing people to help you is probably a leadership secret that people aren't good at.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We are, especially as women, I think we are so good at giving help and offering help, and we're pretty terrible at receiving. Mm-hmm. And if you can let people help you that is sometimes more inspiring of um, followership and support than helping others, Mm -hmm. allowing people and empowering them and surrendering to allow them to help you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I talked about my home team, including my parents. My mother came and stayed with me while my husband was traveling. And I took six weeks off of work.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, which is a huge deal because I run, it's a, a very small consulting company with clients that demand, they don't demand, but our clients, um, We there's a high demand for us in the industry
3: mm-hmm. and in the
2: marketplace. And, um, and our team stepped up and some of our consulting partners um, from outside of our organization stepped up and supported me so that I had that space. And so that our, um, so that, our clients were still served even in in my absence.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: our team banded together and and took care of one another and took care of me as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it it it's um it's easy to lead when things are going well. Um what happens when there's a crisis? I think is a true test of your leadership. It
0: really is and um, I, I too went through something in my past where I had a serious injury like that, and I think I remember a few months ago when you, you wrote in your blog how you were doing. It was much more of a struggle. You were, oh yeah, you, you were having to.
2: It's still a struggle. So you're. I, I am still struggling.
0: And I, I like what you're saying about asking for help and um something it seems like there's something about letting people know how you're feeling really not pretend mm-hmm. and what you're what you're capable of that day that's that's important too
2: well and um and there's some messaging you know you need to know who your audience is not everybody um frankly i mean this is for the listeners um not everybody cares how you're doing mhm And so I try not to make my problems anybody else's. Um, They're much more concerned with their problems. And so if I can do what I need to do to take care of myself and to get my support people to help me, Mm
3: -hmm. whatever that
2: is, my personal trainer, my surgeon, my physical therapist, my husband, my children, my dear friends, Mm -hmm. my business partners, um, build that support system around me so that I don't have to make my problems everybody else's. And there are days when... Um, when even my home team needs me to be better than I am. I need to be better than I am. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not the only one who experiences frustration with my limitations. Um, You know, my team experiences frustration with my limitations. And, um, And it's something that we're all struggling with. And, again, it's a struggle that is an opportunity. It allows us to look at where our weaknesses are as a team, where we want and need more support, um where we um where we're vulnerable and and um and and how we want to um how we want to shore that up it's,
0: that's it's just really what you're saying is so beautiful and it's yeah. i think it's important for all of us to hear and i um i just really wish you well on your your healing journey and i'm so just i'm just inspired by who you are as a person before you were injured and and who you are now
2: thank you you know i'll i'll tell you one other thing that i've learned through this and it's um and part of this is you know my background um from a healing perspective uh having run a health spa um one of the things that i have really learned and that i'm that i'm still struggling with is how useful how much information pain is and um, and to use the pain rather than to shut it off that that um, the pain is information that tells me I need to rest and that I need to stretch and that I need to exercise um, it would be really easy to take pain medication and turn that off
3: mm-hmm.
2: and when i turn that off it doesn't promote my healing and and i'm using that as a metaphor for more than just my physical healing this is a metaphor for also healing our relationships either our personal relationships or our work relationships and our organizations that the that the symptoms that we very often shut off the symptoms Instead of listening to what the symptoms trying to tell us,
0: that is so profound. You can put that in your book, Carrie.
2: That <laughs> I'll have to transcribe this because I. I, 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 I will give you a, a copy sort of the. <laughs> I'll give you a
0: copy of the transcription. <laughs> that that is really really. It's so true. How often do we just ignore the the pain and not understand that it's giving us some deeper information. Right. That is so beautiful. Thank you. Well, this has been wonderful to talk to you, and I appreciate everything you've shared with us. I know the people listening are going to to really get a lot out of this. Thank you again, and um, maybe we can get you to join us for another interview at some later time.
2: It would be my pleasure, Sabrina. Thank you for having me today.
0: You're welcome. Bye for now. Hey, did you like the show? If you did, I would really appreciate your help. I need more great reviews in iTunes or Stitcher.com. Every great review will allow more women to discover the show and will help them succeed too. Please visit iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe to Women's Leadership Success Podcast. Also, I really appreciate you sharing my show with your friends and associates. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at Sabrina at com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.